Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Welcome to another episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. On this episode, I have Mike Drews and Mike and I discuss general wellness products and what that means with respect to being a regulated medical device. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder, the VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight.guru, John Spear, and welcome. With me is Mike Drews with Vascular Sciences. He's uh, a guest that's been on the Global Medical Device Podcast many times, and every single time uh, this date comes up, I circle it. I put a star on it. I put a smiley face because these are exciting conversations that I get to have with Mike. So, Mike, uh, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Well, thank you, John, for that very, very kind introduction. It's always a pleasure to be with you and your audience. All right, Mike. So I know that uh, you're a man of many talents and experiences, and and today we're going to talk about something that is, uh, well, I, I think it's pretty relevant. I mean, I can tell you right now uh, not to, to name, well, I'll leave the name of the device out, but I'm wearing this thing on my wrist right now <laughs> that uh, keeps track of my heart rate and the number of steps that I take all day and all these sorts of things. And and what I'd like to dive into with you today is, is well, the, the topic is general wellness devices. What does that mean? And I think sometimes uh, we're, we're looking at, at a number of different types of products and, and, and technologies that could fit in that particular category. So what, help us, what is a general wellness device? Well, that's a great question, John. Would you like FDA's definition or my definition? (laughs) Well, maybe it'd be helpful to have both. (laughs) I think you're probably right. So let me give you FDA's definition first. And this is going to use many more words than my definition. And by the way, for the benefit of your audience, this comes right out of the guidance that FDA put out last summer on general wellness policy for low-risk devices. So basically, FDA considers a wellness product to be a product that's designed to maintain or encourage a general state of health or healthy activity. In other words, and we'll get into this as we we discuss in more detail, it really comes down to the labeling and the claims. Mm -hmm. So you can't make a claim that you're specifically preventing or treating a disease or injury or condition, but you can do so in a much more subtle way. So Again, FDA definition is maintaining or encouraging a, a general state of health or healthy activity. That's pretty far-reaching. My definition. Oh, I'm hey, sorry? I said that's a pretty far-reaching or pretty broad uh, or pretty ambiguous definition, don't you think? Well, it is uh, broad or ambiguous, but, you know, that's the nature of regulation, John. Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, regulation when it's broad or nebulous or vague to be a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. As you and I have talked about many times, I see that as a huge advantage because I can manipulate it, spin Mm -hmm. it, you know, in whatever way that I think is, is appropriate. So anyway, my simpler definition, this is the Mike Drew's definition, is simply a medical device with what I call weak medical claims 
weak medical claims. Okay. Um, really, as we'll talk about, this comes down to not the technology, not what your device does or how it works, but what you say about it. And that product that you mentioned that you're wearing on your mm-hmm. wrist right now, I can pretty much guess what it is, is a great <laughs> example of yeah. So you can't make direct medical claims, but you can infer or imply them. And I think, to be honest with you, whether FDA realized it or not, as we go through a couple of examples here, they've really opened up a Pandora's box with some very, very clever wordsmithing and some advertising. We can do some very sophisticated uh, things. But uh, again, sure. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's 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 continue on. Well, I mean, I think that's important, though, to, to understand. I mean, uh, I know you get approached. I get approached quite often, too, by companies and inventors and entrepreneurs who have a, a new device and they're kind of in this gray zone, you know, they're, it's a wearable technology. It's going to monitor things like blood pressure or heart rate or all these different things, but, but I'm going to wear it on my wrist or as a necklace or, or, or what have you. And, and it's, uh, you know, that ambiguity, and maybe it's important as you suggest, but I think it's getting, getting people to think about those who are developing this technology. I, I, you said some key words a moment ago. What is it that you claim your product does? That's, that's a really important thing. That's exactly true, John. And by the way, one other thing I should also interject as we talk about what a wellness product is, another criteria, it's not part of the definition, is that it must be low risk. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, as we've talked about before, there are many different connotations of risk. Mm-hmm. And for those in the audience that are interested, I would you know, point them to the um, webinar that I sure. did for Greenlight.Guru just recently, specifically delving into risk. So another criteria that we have to look at about when we consider whether our particular devices can be, can be considered a wellness product or not is risk. Yeah, I mean, I think risk is, well, obviously, it's an important context in a number of, of facets of our world. I mean, low risk. I mean, re- remind uh, those who who have heard this, or maybe those who have not. Yeah, you know, not necessarily want to dive into the many connotations of of risk information, all the details. But when you say low risk, can you give a little bit more context about what that means? So, as briefly as I can, it needs to present as minimal risk to the user as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the context of wellness products, I'm really even reluctant to use the word patient. Right. Because patient implies somebody that's, you know, <laughs> right. sick or injured or something. Right. And by definition, these kinds of products are not intended for, you know, disease or injuries or that type of thing. Yeah. So risk here means, for example, the product that you have on your wrist right now, mm-hmm. that that particular product has a minimal risk of causing direct harm to you, you know, causing, I can't imagine what it might do, but if, <laughs> the, uh, if, if the thing, you know, were to electrocute you or... Hey, whoa, like, wait, wait, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, remember, another, uh, another connotation of risk is the probability of providing the wrong information. Uh-huh. So if, if that particular device that you're wearing is telling you your heart rate, for example and the number that it gives you is wrong, what are the consequences of that? If that particular device is being used simply to indicate your heart rate for the purposes of telling you, hey, you're, you know, you're exercising within your target zone, then that's one thing. 
Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if the if a cardiologist is looking that, at that information and says, oh, your heart rate is above 200 beats per minute, therefore you have a tachycardia, or your heart rate is below 60 beats per minute, therefore you have a bradycardia, right. now that's quite another. So uh-huh. that's a simple example of, as I said a moment ago, um, it's not the device, it's not the technology, it's not what it does or how it works. It's it's what we say about it and and what we do with that information. Okay, that that helps quite a bit. So thank you for going into a little bit more depth. And and I and I think this is a maybe a good a good opportunity for us to talk about a general wellness claim versus a medical device claim. And and let's let's continue with this example that I happen to be wearing on my wrist. I mean, I keep track of uh, I I have a goal of how many steps that I want to take. I. I just look at the heart rate. I'm I'm curious what my heart rate is throughout the day and those sorts of things. But it's a, it's for my own uh, benefit, you know. There's nobody that's prescribed it or so on, and so that that clearly fits in that general wellness claim. Now let's imagine that this device that I'm wearing now all of a sudden is transmitting this you know some vital sign data to my my physician. Did I cross the line and become a medical device? Well, that's a good question, John, and that's actually not unique to wellness products. There are, as you know, a lot of telemetric kinds of devices that we have today that transmit information to to a physician. It could be as something as simple as a as a Holter monitor, for example, that tracks mm-hmm. EKG. Uh, it could be, um, you know, imaging systems that transfer uh, images to a a core lab where a radiologist might read it. So the short answer is yes, that can, in some cases, constitute a regulated medical device. That's Mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess, I'm sure you have some examples that you can kind of walk us through, because this, you know, there is some gray here, and and that's, that's maybe helpful in some respects, but for those who are developing new technologies, if they continue to play in, in the gray zone, so to speak, and they don't appreciate that what they're claiming is, is actually crossed the realm into a regulated medical device, that that could be bad news or could be problematic for that company. So, you know, can you maybe give a little bit more context, maybe a, an, an example or two or a couple of scenarios that might help paint that picture a little bit more clearly? Absolutely, John. So a few things. So as I said, uh, my definition of a wellness product is one with a uh, a device with a with weak medical claims. I'll give mm-hmm. you a perfect example. And this is actually uh, uh, just sort of um, almost what's right out of that guidance that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So you can't, in a wellness product, uh, make a claim to uh, to treat hypertension or high blood pressure, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, what you can do, and this is exactly why I said a moment ago that I think FDA may have inadvertently opened up a Pandora's box here, is you can say that the product is intended to promote, track, or encourage um, healthy choices as part of a healthy lifestyle, for example, mm-hmm. in okay. order to reduce the risk of certain chronic diseases and conditions like cardiovascular disease, like hypertension, and so on and so on. So as I said earlier, with some clever wordsmithing, mm-hmm. you can make some very strong claims without having to go to FDA at all. Mm-hmm. Um, because another thing that we should point out for your audience, John, is that this is 
the lowest of the in, in, in the medical device spectrum. In other words, this is not even what we might consider a class one exempt device. This is what I would call a class zero device, right. which basically means we don't need to go to FDA for anything about this. You don't need to um, register I, your company. You don't need to list your product. You don't need to do any of those things if, if you're in this space. That's, that's, that's what I just heard you say. That's, that's correct. Yes, that's correct. Um, technically, you do not even have to let FDA know that you're, uh, that you're marketing this because you see products like this being advertised on the TV all the time. Of course. This is very, very, very similar to, on the drug side of the world, what we call nutraceuticals. Mm-hmm. Um, things like ginkgo biloba and echinacea mm-hmm. and St. John's wort. So we probably don't have time to get into those comparisons, but there's a lot of similarities between, uh, between nutraceuticals um, and other areas like vitamins and supplements and so on right. uh, compared to wellness products. Mm-hmm. But as a result, I've got a couple of companies that I'm working with right now, John. We have two different versions of exactly the same medical device. Okay. In other words, the device itself, the design, the materials, the way it works and so on, everything is exactly the same. The only difference is the labeling and more specifically the label claims. In one particular case, in one version of the labeling, we have it on the market as a wellness product, which, as I said, requires no involvement from the FDA, and a second version of exactly the same device. Again, there's no physical difference whatsoever, just a different label, Mm -hmm. is a 510K. Mm. It has everything to do with what we say the device does. Okay. What I call the high-level labeling. Sure. Huh. Oh, that's that's interesting. And I have a, a I won't go into the specifics, but uh, contacted a, a company a couple of days ago that they have a device that's on the market right now. And and the device that's on the market, I, I would say it fits in this general wellness category, but it's it's not a med device. I mean, it's a consumer. Uh, uh, I used quotes around that consumer device that that uh, they're selling right now. They didn't have to register anything with the FDA, but something about what they're what they want to do is going to change the claims and you know good on them they realize that that's and now puts them in the realm of or will put them in the realm of being a regulated medical device so you know they're they're trying to do the right thing making sure that they put their quality get a quality system established and document their design controls on risk and all those sorts of things so uh, you know that, that's a really key thing so this guidance that you've mentioned and and folks will provide a link to that in the uh, text that accompanies this podcast, but this this guidance that you mentioned, does it have decision trees or does it give, I mean, I know it has some examples and things like that, but do you, what is your opinion? Does this give a pretty good clear path that someone who might be questioning whether or not they're a medical device versus general wellness, does this give them some clarity on how to determine that for certain? Well, that's a good question, John. Whether it gives them a clear path or, or, or provides clarity, I guess, uh, you know, clarity is in the eyes of the, of the beholder. Mm-hmm. But to me, you know, this guidance, like any guidance uh, or any regulation, you know, what's more important than reading what is said is reading what is not said. Right. And so there's a lot of gray area in here in this guidance that, let's put it this way, as a regulatory professional myself, Mm-hmm. I can really take advantage of. Sure. And I just want to take that example that I shared with you a moment ago a step yeah, further sure. because this has got some, I think, some real potential advantages to many in your audience and maybe even in the product that you are involved with right now. Here's a little 
free consulting even for you, John. <laughs> I love the idea of using the wellness product as a label expansion. Oh, wow. That's words, a good idea. Using, using uh, as you just described, you know, this other company has a wellness product. You called it a consumer product. I personally, I don't like to use phrases like consumer product or medical medical device. It just gets even more confusing. What I tend to think about is whether it's a regulated medical device or not. If a regulated medical device would obviously require some involvement from the FDA as opposed to a uh, not, uh, an unregulated medical device would not, because mm-hmm. let's be honest, you know, this is just a matter of semantics. All of these things are, are medical devices. Sure. And that little, little gizmo that you're wearing on your, on your wrist, it's a medical device. There's no question about it, right. but it's an unregulated medical device, or at least it can be. Right. So anyway, back to the label expansion. So if we have a product already on the market, and I was involved this past year with a company that had a sort of an in vitro diagnostic that was already on the market. And then we wanted to do nothing more than beef up the label claims to make more, to make stronger, more bolder claims, which by the way, is also an advantage from a reimbursement perspective. Then you can go to the FDA and say, hey, here's our device. We're going to do it as a 510K or a de novo or what have you. And oh, by the way, we've already had it on the market for the last three years or five years or whatever it is. And here's the history of it. Here's, you know, the data that we have on it, not just on the regulatory side when it comes to things like safety and efficacy, but also to your, in your world, John, on the quality side in terms of complaints and, and manufacturing defects and so on and so on. So you can use that uh, to your advantage, but, and this is probably beyond the scope of our conversation today, as you can imagine, John, you do have to be a little careful uh, yeah. how you present that information. You don't want to say, oh, by the way, our device has been on the market for the, ne- for the last five years. We're just kind of getting around now to tell you about it. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, that's probably not a, a very good tactic to, to employ, for sure. Probably not. <laughs> but And one other thing that I will mention about the guidance, since you asked, you know, we talked about risk a moment ago. Sure. So in the guidance, it does talk a, a little more about risk and specifically what does low risk mean mm-hmm. uh, in this particular connotation. The product has to be non-invasive, but again, the devil's in the details, right? Average regulatory professionals know the rules. The best ones know the exceptions. So right. this IVD product that I mentioned a moment ago, it involved a collecting a blood sample. Okay. Well, long story short, if you stick a needle in somebody's arm, that's considered non-invasive. If you prick somebody's finger, that's considered invasive. It makes absolutely no sense to me. That is the funniest thing ever. Yeah, no, it's just, I, 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 it's so funny. Hey, listen, I don't write the regulation. I just, uh, you know, companies pay me to help them use it. So that's one criteria, the invasiveness. Another criteria is, does it involve a technology that might pose a risk to the user's safety? In other words, you cannot use things like lasers or radiation exposure. But once again, I have a device right now that I'm working on that is exposing a patient to a particular wavelength of light. To me, that's pretty low risk because this particular wavelength of light corresponds to the light that you're exposed to when you just walk around outside. Of course. Right? Yeah. So, 
you know, by definition, that would be excluded from this particular category. But this is one of the reasons why I do not like tight regulation, Mm -hmm. because it does not allow for the application of intelligence, you know, to be applied here. And then the third criteria about risk is obviously that it can't raise questions about usability or biocompatibility, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I mentioned that, John, is because this brings us to usability testing. In my opinion, usability testing for wellness products is even more important than usability testing for traditional medical devices. And this, by the way, includes over-the-counter devices. So even if you have a 510K, but it's OTC, usability is very, very important Mm -hmm. in both OTC as well as wellness products for one simple reason. For traditional medical devices, they're going to be used or at least theoretically be used by a trained medical professional, somebody that's graduated from medical school or nursing school or what have you. Whereas wellness products and indeed all OTC products are going to be used by regular people like anyone, you and I. <laughs> anyone, yeah, exactly anyone right. you can imagine, with and, little uh, or no or no training. I mean, and that usability topic is is, uh, is I agree with you. It's it's so important in general, but but uh, you know you have to consider your user population and. And if your user population can range from you know a child to uh, uh, a geriatric user, then that's a pretty broad range to consider from a usability standpoint. So it's kind of right, a- right. And one last thing that I'll I'll mention about usability to link it back to risk. This I talked about a little bit in the webinar that that uh, I did for your company uh, that I mentioned recently. Um, to separate usability from risk, in my opinion, makes absolutely no sense. I agree. One of the one of the best ways to assess the risks of your device is through what I call real usability testing, mm-hmm. not the artificial contrived usability <laughs> testing that meets the standards of the yeah. FDA, but real yeah. usability testing. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I'll mention, John, so that we can wrap this up uh, for your audience, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, and I think this is a, one of the most important points, how do you know specifically if your product, if your device falls under this category of a wellness product or not? Yeah. Well, I mean, like a lot of things in regulatory, we can talk about these things in our companies from now until the sun burns out. We're never going to know for sure until we take it to the agency. So there's basically two options. One is we can take our product to the agency, uh, you know, as a matter of what I call professional courtesy. In other words, we're not asking them for anything. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, want to come down, shake hands, introduce ourselves, tell you a bit about our device, what it does, how it works, how we're going to label it. And for all of the following reasons, it is considered a wellness product. And therefore, you know, we're not asking you for anything. We're just letting you know. Sure. And FDA is going to say one of two things. They're going to say, oh, that sounds great. You know, we look forward to, to seeing it on the, uh, you know, on, the, on the shelf when we walk into CVS or someplace like that. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to say, hold on a second here. We don't quite see it this way. And this is when the discussion begins. Mm-hmm. So that's one approach that companies can take. The second approach that companies can take is don't take it to the agency, but be prepared to defend it if they come knocking on your door in the future and they say, hey, sure. you seem to be marketing a medical device here. We don't remember you ever coming to talking about us. What the heck is going on? Right. And the strategy that I would imply here, John, and we've talked about this before as well, 
is exactly the strategy of the letter to file. Uh-huh. We put together all of the documentation that we need, the testing to show that it's low risk, the logical arguments as to why it qualifies. And we just simply, other than, we, we don't take it to the FDA prophylactically, but instead we put it in our file. And that way, if somebody does come knocking on our door, we're not in a situation where we have to say, oh, gee, I'm sorry, we forgot, or worse, oh, you caught us. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. come on in, Mr. or Mrs. FDA. Right. You know, let us pull out our folder, our essentially our letter to file. Here are all the reasons why we did not take it to you. And by the way, if you have other companies that have done similar things that you can point to, that will be icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. So I just want to, you know, like, like everything in regulatory, I want to demonstrate to my friends on the other side of the table that I know what the heck I'm doing. And, and I think it's, it, what I want the listeners to understand is whether you're a general wellness device that's uh, not a regulated medical device or you are a regulated medical device, hear the message that Mike is, is conveying. And one of those messages, or multiple messages actually, but one of the messages that he's conveying is document your decision-making process. You know, if you determine that, hey, we're in this gray zone and we, we, we're going to put a stake in the ground that says we're a non-regulated medical device, we're not going to go to the FDA, we're just going to do our thing and we're going to bring this product to, to people who are going to use it, uh, document that decision and don't just say because we said so, support it with uh, evidence, you know, review regulations, review guidance documents from, from FDA and other regulatory bodies. As Mike suggests, compare your product to, to maybe some other products that are, that are already on the market. You know, it's not that you're doing a, a full substantial equivalence uh, rationale, but you're basically, um, basically making a case for, for why you made your decision. And that, that's important. The other thing I want people to understand through this is even if you have a non-regulated medical device, there's still, as Mike so well stated about usability and, and the connection between usability and risk, there are still risks that are involved with your product. There are still issues that you need to address from a usability standpoint. And that would imply or suggest that you should also be documenting those decisions and documenting uh, those types of situations. You may actually have to do testing. You may actually have to do some performance criteria. You may, it may make sense to go through a design and development process, uh, some, you know, a procedure, a process describing the user needs and the inputs and the outputs, verification, validation, have design reviews. So don't hear that, that I have a general wellness device that is a non-regulated medical device. Therefore, throw all of that, that good regulatory best practices for your quality system and your design controls and risk and usability. I'm going to throw that out the window. That's not what is being said here, folks. I could not agree with you more, John, and especially to your to your last point. That's a very important thing for the audience to remember. This is not an excuse to do sloppy engineering. Right. This, you know, just because we're working on a low-risk product which might not require taking it to the FDA because it's a wellness product, or for that matter, even if we're working on a low-risk class 1 medical device that is exempt from design controls. All of those things that are part of the design controls, the quality Mm -hmm. system, the regulatory uh, system, and so on, 
you know, as you and I have talked about before, John, it's all what I call prudent engineering. Exactly. It's all what we should be doing anyway. So exactly. please don't use this as an excuse to cut corners. You know, we didn't get it in, 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 get into it here, but regrettably, there there are some very very recent examples of wellness products. Uh, devices that are brought to market. There's a blood pressure one in particular that I'm thinking of that is has an inaccuracy rate of greater than 80%. In other words, wow. less than 20% of the time. That's crazy. Accurate. That's crazy. You know, that's uh, crazy is putting it politely, John. <laughs> So, and I don't want to mention the specific product here, but if anybody wants to send me an email, feel free. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But this is, you know, so uh, again, I think, John, you and I are singing exactly the same song, maybe in a slightly different key. Yeah. This is not an excuse to take shortcuts or to do sloppy engineering. We still need to make good, safe, reliable products, whether they, they involve the FDA or not. Right. And the last thing I just want to remind the audience of as we wrap this up is wellness products, in my opinion, make a wonderful opportunity, at least for some companies. I mean, it's obviously if you're designing coronary stents, you're probably not going to come out with a wellness version of a coronary stent. <laughs> right. But for a lot of medical devices, it does represent or it does offer the potential for that label expansion, where, as I said, you bring it onto the market initially with no FDA involvement in its sort of dumbed-down configuration, dumbed-down in terms of labeling. And then you go back to the FDA later with the, with a similar device, or maybe even exactly the same device, but with it, with different labeling. I think from a business perspective, that has a lot of advantages. Yeah, exactly. Mike, I appreciate uh, these insights. And, and folks, I want you to know that, that if, if you have any questions about your device or technology and and wonder if it might fit as a, a general wellness device or a re regulated medical device, or you need some guidance uh, navigating this process, you know, you can always reach out to, to Mike Drews, Mike, D-R-U-E-S, Drews. You can find him on LinkedIn. Again, he's with Vascular Sciences. You can also reach out to to us here at Greenlight.Guru. And if, if you want to get some, some a little bit of counsel, we'd be happy to get you on the right path. The other thing is, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the FDA does have a guidance document. And, you know, as with guidance documents, some are better than others. I think this one is pretty good considering the topic. Uh, you know, it's not prescriptive per se, but it does give, this one is a good uh, uh, guidance document in my opinion, because it has a lot of examples. And sometimes, you know, at least for me, I learn from those examples. So we'll provide a link to that too. But um, don't just be a cowboy <laughs> with your product and, and think that you can just uh, proceed with reckless abandon. Do be strategic, do uh, apply that prudent engineering that Mike mentions. And as I wrap this up, let me uh, encourage you that if, if you're not really sure how or what to do, or maybe you've got processes in place and they're not quite as efficient and streamlined as you'd like, contact greylight.guru. You can go to our website, you can learn more about our eQMS system and our workflows that are designed specifically for medical device companies, including how to manage and maintain design controls, risk management, among a number of other workflows. Do the right thing, reach out, get a hold of us, and we'd be happy to talk to you about how we might be able to help. So, Mike, thank you once again for being the guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. My pleasure, John. Thank you, as always, for the opportunity.
And as I mentioned, this is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory Greenlight, Dr. John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.